It's time again for the one show that takes a look at business from a different perspective. The Coaching Perspective with Master Certified Business Coach, Doug Gefeller. Hey, Doug. Hey, Paul. Glad to be with you here in studio today. Well, I'm Doug Gefeller. I'm your host for today. I'm a Master Certified Coach by the International Coach Federation, and I've been coaching leaders and their teams for too many years. 21 years, helping them to (laughs) clarify their objectives and reach their goals. And if you'd like to know more about my coaching services, just go to the website, thecoachingperspective.com. Well, today is special for me. Our guest is Pat Fusco, founder and CEO of Fusco Engineering. And I've known Pat for, I think, 40 years now. (laughs) And uh, it is a privilege to have him on the show and share some of his history with you. You know, over the course of his career, Pat's been the lead engineer on many significant projects, such as the uh, Village of Woodbridge, the Laguna Beach uh, Bluebird Canyon Landslide Repair, Orange County Fairgrounds, the Ronald Reagan Federal Building and Courthouse, Dana Point Harbor. The list could go on and on. But let me tell you about what's really important about Pat. Pat initiates planning for all of the firm's larger projects, overseeing the progress of each development, and offering creative direction, guidance, and support. He continues to bring his energy, insight, and extraordinary communication skills to the design team at Fusco Engineering, inspiring his professionals to excel in their creativity and service to clients. Pat not only motivates people to be their best, but shares ideas, designs, and helps with strategic decisions to ensure projects receive the best engineering solutions and service possible. Under his able leadership, Fusco Engineering is transformed into a company of individuals who work as a team dedicated to quality, service, and innovation, as well as a company which thoughtfully integrates the built environment into the natural environment in a creative and responsive manner. We know Pat gave me a choice of four topics he could talk (laughs) talk on today. He said, I can talk about creating a winning culture or embracing change in technology or engineering plus or eco-adaptive engineering. (laughs) And after discussing this with him, I could only respond by saying, hey, I want to know about all of those. (laughs) So hang on for a wild ride. We're going to go wherever he wants to take us today, but uh, it's going to be exciting. So let me welcome you to the Coaching Perspective radio show community, Pat. Thank you so much, Doug. It's a pleasure to be here always with you. And I I have a lot to live up to with that that bio you read about me. But I do get up every day and, and think about everything you just read off and, and say to myself, i got to live up to that, and I try. Well, so. you know, what, what really intrigues me and has always intrigued me about you is that you may be a phenomenal engineer. I'm not qualified to judge, but you are a great team builder. You inspire people, and you really bring out the best in everybody. Thank you. Yeah. Well, as you know, in your business, it's vital for success, a service business in particular. You know, we're a people business. We have 200 people, and we're just selling what we know. That's it. We're not making Frisbees or machines or boxes. And so uh, it's all about those people being activated and passionate about what they do to deliver a good outcome. That's wonderful. So, yeah. Well, look, give us uh, give us some background on yeah. how you got in. How did I how, get how, here? <laughs> how you got to be here? <laughs> well... It's funny, I could go on and on, but some of the things that are really material, I think, is I grew up outside, okay? My mom said, go out and play at 7 in the morning. You heard the screen door slam, and I was gone till dark (laughs) every day. And I'll tell you what it did to me is I grew up outside in the fields and the ranches, running around chasing peacocks and whatever, and it taught me about nature, and it taught me about being outside and everything about it. I, I saw it. I got it that it was a system and everything had a part in it. And so that made me decide I didn't want to be sitting at a desk all day inside. I want to be outside and I want to be touching nature. So that's all I knew as a kid growing up. I knew I I wanted to aim in that direction. So I, but I, I, typical uh, 1950s family, most everybody, in fact, I think 50% of my high school did not go to college. Yeah. The kids didn't, I don't, and it was fine. Yeah. It was okay. Didn't need it. Yeah, they became firemen or tennis instructors. or Everybody was fine. There was no uh, social outcast or you weren't <laughs> chastised because you didn't have two degrees. Your parents were probably happy if you didn't go well, to college. Well, they wanted me to go, and I was the first one in my family, and there's still a lot of people out there like me that 
were the first of their entire family to go to college. And I, I said, okay. And they, I said, what should I do? And they said, well, I don't know, but you're good at math and you like to draw. I'll never forget my mom saying that. And I went, so? She goes, oh, you should be an engineer. <laughs> like, <laughs> duh, <laughs> you know, if you can draw and you're good at math. So I said, okay. You know, I was a very compliant kid. And, and so I became an engineer. I went to school in downtown L.A. at SC. is a good school. And I went to work for the city of L.A. and, uh, and so on. So that's how I got okay. into this uh, career, if you will. I liked the notion of engineering because it was about making places. And remember when I was outside all day, that's what I used to do. I'd build forts and I'd imagine, you know, whole cultures of things going on all in my mind. All but, fantasy But I, yeah. I would take branches of trees and make bridges and stuff. So I, it, it fit. It was fun. Um, and then, luckily for me, because I was an L.A. guy and living in L.A. and everything was fine, a friend of mine said, Pat, move to Newport Beach. We'll get a boat and go around the world. And, of course, when you're 23 or whatever, that, that makes sense. <laughs> sure it does. True story. So we bought a 35-foot sailboat, and I moved to Newport Beach strictly and solely to go around the world. And I quit my job and everything, and I came down here to Orange County. And as we were talking about before the show, there was nothing here. It was bean fields. What year was this? 1973. Okay. This whole area, I was looking out your window here, and it's just asparagus, as far as you can see. And you can't remember, people just don't appreciate that no one here would live on the inland side of the 405 freeway. That was considered the wrong side of the tracks. Wrong side of the tracks, yeah. definitely. And the poor Irvine company was struggling to get anybody to be interested in buying a house or anything, because it was nothing but bugs and fruit and dirt, and nobody wanted anything to do with it. And you might remember the genesis of Woodbridge was, well, why do people insist on staying on the west side of 405 Freeway? And it was because they want to be near the water. Yeah. So I remember, I don't know if it was you, Doug, but somebody at the Irvine Company was brilliant. Said, well, let's give them water. And they said, let's build a lake out in the middle of this bean field and surround it with brand new homes and parks and schools and call it wood. I was just the luckiest kid on earth to be in the middle of that and be given the responsibility to do it for God's sakes. I, I had no idea what I was doing, but I was a quick learner. I, I went to the Newport beach library every night and I stayed there till they closed reading books on how to design a lake. And as fast as I could, I became uh, an engineer that could do a lake and I did it and it still works. <laughs> and, and you know, at that time I was at the Irvine company and, and you were the consultant I was using to yeah. do that. If I had known you were going to the library to learn how to do it, I'm not so sure I would have hired you. I know. <laughs> I, I was I was the best kept secret. Everybody thought I knew everything. I didn't know anything. I was 25 years old, for God's sakes. I mean, you should know better, Doug. <laughs> it worked out great. Yeah, it did. It worked out because my enthusiasm and my perseverance, if you will, my dedication, my devotion to duty was, was over the top. And I, I, I did not go around the world in my sailboat. I stayed here because I caught... Uh, the excitement of what I was doing. And I said, I don't want to leave this. This is the most fun I've had in my life. <laughs> this is more fun than going to Tahiti in a sailboat, you know. So uh, it changed my life, yeah. Thanks for that opportunity, too. Well. So uh, I ended up leaving the engineering firm I was working for because they were a 50s-style firm, like all firms were in those days. Hard to imagine, but... Uh, real narrow-minded and drank at lunch and nobody had any ideas or creativity was not even in their vocabulary and I had a hard time with that world and so I I knew if I left my job wherever I went to work would be the same thing so I quit in a rage actually I was so upset that they wouldn't change because I kept telling them we have to change and and they wouldn't yeah. so I left and I thought well I'll just start my own and so in 1981, I started my own business, which was stupid. My wife was pregnant. I had no money. I went to the bank. This is a true story. I went to the <laughs> bank, and I said, I'm going to put a swimming pool in. Can I borrow 30 grand? I took my last paycheck from my job and showed it to them. They gave me 30 grand. I put it in a Merrill Lynch account and lived off of it for two years. I never built a pool. <laughs> and I got down to the last buck. And I'm telling you, when we finally turned the corner and the business uh, got successful, but that's how I got into this business and how I started it and, of course, stuck with it ever since then. Um, 
so should I go into my business now or do you Yeah, to... yeah, I know. What what in your mind, what makes your company unique? Yeah, that's very important to me because there's a lot of good engineers out there. Sure. And I found that it's very competitive like most businesses and there's other handsome smart engineers out there <laughs> like me, you know. And it's like how am I going to, you know, beauty will get you in the room, but your brains are what's going to keep you in there. So I started to surround myself with uh, smart people, as smart as I could get. Now, mind you, I didn't have much to offer. I'm just a kid with a business, and other firms were established and had wonderful reputations. So the kind of people I got were more entrepreneurial, which mm -hmm. turned out to be good. Good, yeah. But it, 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 we all coalesced a culture, a meritocracy culture of, of lifelong learning and constant improvement. And um, it worked for me, uh, though it was slow going for several years. But to answer your question, it's um, today the answer is different than it was the first 10 years we were in business. The first 10 years we were in business, we were a strong service firm. All I could tell you to make me different was that I would hustle. Mm -hmm. I will hustle for you. That's all. That's the only thing I could do different than any other engineers. I will call you back. The, day, the instant you call, I'll call you right back, or I'll be at your doorstep at 8 in the morning <laughs> like a little dog, a little puppy dog. But after about 10 years, that's not enough. So then we morphed into what I'd call a strong service firm. We were a standard practice firm that hustled, and we became a strong service firm. That meant we started being able to do things others couldn't. Okay, so that started to differentiate us. I hired some PhDs that were off over the top you know with water and open channel flow and things like that so then i started pushing that around like hey we can do real engineering here so we we're different that way but even that didn't last because the big firms have all the big phds they eventually are, yeah so finally it was about becoming uh eco adaptive we actually trademarked that phrase i said okay we're going to be different you guys we're going to care about nature because the engineers out there not a one of them is even thinking twice about nature. They just put the concrete down and go home on everything. And remember, I grew up outside, and I knew how to catch frogs and everything. I could catch rabbits. Can you believe that? I knew how to catch <laughs> rabbits. I'll show you sometime. It's unbelievable. But uh, I care about nature. I love it. And so we made our firm that. We became the first green firm before green was fashionable. Okay? And it worked. People... Why do people came to uh, come to us? Because developers and builders were the evil empire to the environmentalists, oh, yeah. right? Yeah. You remember that? Yeah. And the environmentalists would line up and create all kinds of hell and barriers and delays for these poor guys. And they were just fair-minded people trying to do something rational, but they didn't have any way to speak to these environmentalists, and I could do that. It's like I spoke Mandarin. I could communicate to the Sierra Club. I could communicate to the Coastal Commission in a way that they trusted me, they believed me. Like I'd say, I can do this channel and it'll look just like this and I'd show them a creek, you know, mm -hmm. with rock riffles and fish ladders and all these things that are really cool. And, <laughs> Even and now you get excited. Just I do, I love it, it. <laughs> I can I can do it. And and I don't have to use concrete. Are, are we going frogging after this, yeah, this right. interview? <laughs> I'm still good at it though. I can show you where to catch frogs. They're not in the water, okay. So anyway, that worked for a long time. We were the we became the go-to firm for any project that was integrating into nature. Like the Irvine Company had villages out on the edge of town that were right. penetrating, if you will, into the Cleveland National Forest or anything where you're touching nature directly. We were the right guys, and that made us different. And now today, every there's a lot of firms that can do that. And by the way, we did the first bioswale in California. I don't even know what a bioswale yeah. is. Bioswales are uh, places where you let water collect, where you put all kinds of plants and let the plants clean the water up naturally. Like a black willow will eat selenium right out of the water, make it clean and safe. Unbelievable. Oh. Who would think? Yeah. You don't need a giant reverse osmosis filter. You just need a let black willow. Let nature do it. Let yeah. nature do it. Yeah, but you have to know what kind of plants, what kind of bugs. We learned how to do that. And we did the first bioswale in California. And it saved the day for a client and got a project approved on the beach because we could show how all the water was clean as a whistle. And I said, this is so great. we got to 
take this to Orange County in L.A., and so we brought it here, and, and now it's required. <laughs> <laughs> the state of California. So back to what what's different now for us is it's full circle thinking. I had to change because everybody's green now and everybody knows how to do bioswales and I can't be different now. I'm good at it and everybody knows I'm original, but I'm not different. Mm-hmm. And you said, how are you different? Right. So now it's full circle thinking, which means, remember I told you in Woodbridge how I went to the library yeah. all night? That's what it is. It's about researching the snot out of the project before you even start so that you know everything there is about opportunities and constraints. Research is really easy today. Oh, when isn't I, it? You oh don't have my to God. go to the library anymore. I don't have to go to a public yeah. library for four hours with books piled on the table. I can do it on my computer really fast. And it's amazing the data I can find. So if you have the right mind, you can collect all this, and then you package it and, and sort it out and cherry-pick what's valuable and present that to the client and start off on first base that way. And then during the design process, we're really devoted to, um, I hate to use this phrase, but everybody knows what I mean, out-of-the-box thinking. It's, yeah. it's here's a way to drain the project in a concrete channel. Well, hang on a second, and this is what I tell my people. Say to yourself, what if? What if is the operative question. What if I couldn't use concrete? What if? It had to be smaller. What if it had to have frogs and so forth? And it, what my engineers do is they stop. Instead of rotely or blindly doing the routine thing, and they think, well, what if I couldn't do it this way? How else could I do it? And we've got quite good at that now. So we give those choices to our clients, and they like it. They pick. It's their, it's their choice, and some of them will pick the concrete. We don't blame them. Okay. We understand. But we give them the choice. So that's how we're different now. We're the only ones that will do that. <laughs> well, look, let's come back to right. this a minute where the producer's waving for a commercial, and okay. then we'll be right back. Thanks. And we're back here with our guest today, Pat Fusco, uh, engineer extraordinary, <laughs> frog hunter, rabbit hunter, <laughs> designer of bioswales. I mean, yeah. uh, hey, we're having an I'm interesting conversation Thank here. you. Love you it, Doug. I, I wanted to ask you, you touched on a number of things that, you know, how have you handled... Keeping that, ex- you know, when you talked about the excitement and mm-hmm. the unity of, of culture that you had when you hired those first handful of people. Yeah. How do you maintain that with 200 people? I, well, I'm good at it. Um, but my secret, and I tell people this, is you have to have a purpose. I can't tell you how many. I have tons of CEO friends. And I say, hey, Rick, what's the purpose of your company? And they just stare at me. <laughs> it's scary. I go, oh, my God. You know, you don't really even know why you exist. Think about it. So I start with that. And I make sure that everybody in our company knows our purpose, which is to help make remarkable places for people to live, work, learn, and play in. Remarkable. 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 If it's not remarkable, I'm not interested. If you're going to just build a box on the corner, I'll give it to somebody and we'll do a great job for you, but you'll never see me. But if you want to make it remarkable, now you got my attention, and I'm going to give you everything i got because that's why I exist. Now, if you start with a purpose, people will gather around it and, and attach themselves to it like pig iron to a magnet. It's unbelievable. People in general, and this is a real generality, I'm sorry, love to belong to something bigger than themselves. Yes, I agree. Don't you think? Yes. And And so if you... If I can tell 200 people, that this is why we're all here, and it's really important, and you're a part of it, so you're important. They love that. They love it. So they're already on second base with no outs with me. I mean, they are totally <laughs> clay in my hand at that point. And, and it's genuine, mind you. This is authentic. I'm not doing this just yeah, for right. drill. I believe it, and they know that it's true for me. So now... We can go about doing what we do for who we do it for and everything like that. But there, we have that foundation, and it just, people never leave. I have average tenure of my people is 18 years. 18 years? Yeah, and 42% of my staff are millennials. So wow. go figure. Wow. That means I got tons of people, 25 years, 30 years. They don't go. They don't leave. It's not about money. It's about purpose. Well, you know, and you, you segued right into the next question I was right. going to have in that when you when you described the transition of the company 
in terms of the, the different things you did to make you unique, to make you different. I didn't get the sense that you went looking for different things to do from a marketing point of view, that it had to do with a belief, a purpose in what you were creating. That's right. Yeah. Is that? Yeah. And it, I'll tell you, I love brands. I, okay. I, I, I read a lot about brands and I study them and I found it has to be authentic. If it's not authentic, it's a total failure. And once people are onto that, you are toast. Yeah. So yeah. don't do a brand. You're better off to not have a brand than to not have an authentic brand. And that means people believe in it. So again, I have a purpose. So I can say full circle thinking is my brand. And all my people know exactly what that is. And they will, they will live it out for you in the project. So it's real, right? Yeah. And I, that was real for me when I hustled. And it was real when I was the... Uh, eco-adaptive engineer and now it's just something different but it's it's all tied to that purpose you, you know I, uh, I I don't want to push you in any one direction mm. but in in the conversations you and I had before you one of the things that sticks with me is the meeting system that you have in your company I want you to share that with <laughs> oh God. everybody well it's a culture now remember my whole you know premeditation on this is is to make it authentic it's so important to me that we're not liars you know, that it's true. It's yeah. just absolutely, I, I just tell everybody I'd rather you go home than not be true. I just can't stand the thought of that. So to be true, I've got a, a lot of work to do to keep people informed and all that. So how do we do that? Well, we have all hands meetings every quarter. All hands means everyone. All 200 people stop work and we all get together over lunch for an hour and a half and we look at everything. We have I, I work for hours to share everything, financials, marketing, cl new clients, what went wrong, why it went wrong, what we learned from it, why we won't do that again, what's going right, what's going well, the whole thing, everything. And everybody holds their hand up in the air and agrees that it's confidential so that they don't not to share it with anybody. It's just for ourselves. Interesting. Yeah. And, and we all go through that once a quarter. But on top of that, there's all the way down the line that kind of culture. You know, the teams have meetings every week. Even the little intern kids are part of the team meeting. They're told what has to be done and what their part of it is. It's all why you're doing yeah, it. Yeah, why you're doing it, who the client is. Oh, my God. Think about that. You're telling we're working for Costco, and they are really a cool client because people love to go to Costco. They call it the treasure hunt. When you go to Costco, you don't know what you're going to buy. More right? than I went in to buy, that's yeah, for sure. Yeah, always. They call it the $1,000 club. Uh, but anyway, I love Costco. They're a great client of ours. But, um, yeah, even the brand-new people need to know that. They need to know who Costco is, why they exist, why they chose us, and how they can be a part of keeping them as a client, right? I mean, uh, so, so we just full tell, transparency. We tell full transparency. Yeah, but it's a lot of work, and people just are lazy and don't want to take the time to tell everybody everything. And so I understand, but it, it works for us. Talk to me for a second about you said you share financial. I mean, yeah. I, so many times I hear CEOs say, well, I can't tell them because they won't understand it, and nope. then they're going to make yeah, conclusions. They're going to want more money. They, blah, They're going to be blah. sorry because I said I have 42% millennials, and they're smart kids, and they want to know. And they deserve to know, and there's no reason not to know. Because remember I told you I quit my job. My boss, I had 35 people I looked after, and he would not tell us how we were doing. i say, did we make any money? He wouldn't tell us. He'd say, yeah. <laughs> he didn't say how much or whatever. Of course, he bought a new Cadillac when we were in the recession. I thought, uh-oh, this isn't good. So, uh, yeah, back to my story. We show him the financials. Now, this is part of why they're they're. First of all, I look at them all as if they're volunteers. Like, oh, my God, they don't have to come back tomorrow if they don't want. Imagine so that. That's a different You look at your employees like they don't have to come here tomorrow if they don't want. And so you want to make them happy so they'll come back. Think about it. It's not that hard. So I look at them as volunteers, and I look at them as grown-ups. Oh, my God, think about how many CEOs you've talked to, Doug, that just look at their people like they're children or yes. something. They treat them children of a lesser god i don't i see them as my peer like these are grown-ups that are my partners so i'm going to show them that we have 35 million dollars in top line sales and that's our goal so isn't that good but our margin is 21 percent we we were hoping for 22 but it's not bad it's just what do you guys think we could do better to get back to 22 and they all raise their hand and have ideas and we we just share the truth now 
the reason they pay attention is they're sharing in it. Uh-huh. Ah, uh-huh. okay. <laughs> now, that's a tough thing to do. A lot of CEOs will never share, and they'll never succeed because they don't. But we have finally evolved a really, I think, very healthy uh, system where it, I can do this real quick. Um, I tell them, look, the first 11 or 12% we make in this company has to stay with the company as return on investment for the owners and for R&D and to buy new stuff. Right. And does everybody understand that? And everybody goes, yeah, yeah. You got that, right? Because otherwise, if we don't get that, I'll just go to the beach. I don't need this, right? And they, okay, we got it. But I'll tell you what, I'll split 50-50 with you every bit of every penny over the 11 or 12%. 50-50. Oh, so guess what? When I first did this, Doug, we were making 8%. We went to 25, like in, one, <laughs> in like one quarter. It was unbelievable. I went, okay. So we split half the profits in the firm, uh, above all the profits above 12%, go into a pool, and then we cut it in half, and half goes to the staff and half goes to management. And the half that goes to staff goes one-third for the company's performance so that everybody helps each other. San Diego will help yeah. the Bay Area. L.A. will help Orange County. One-third goes to your, to, for your team, which is like the San Diego office. They all get that. Mm-hmm. That's their second third. Now, are you following me? Two-thirds of your bonus is coming from other people so far. Little S- emphasis on teamwork you here. You think? Yeah. So then finally the last third is you and how well you did. But that's it. And people get pretty good bonuses in our firm. But they all know the economics. In 2009, we didn't make any money. We didn't lose any money, but we didn't make any. And we showed it to them. They went, yeah, we know. We're just glad to have a job. Thanks. So they're grown-ups, right? How often do they get these bonuses? Once a year. Uh, Once a year. It's really okay. fun. You should come over because we do it at Halloween, which was just I missed Monday. It. I missed and it. And you got 200 people in costume. And it's, <laughs> and it's killer fun. And at the end, we have costume contests and pumpkins and everything. And then we hand out the bonuses. Why do we do it on Halloween? Because we used to do it at the end of the year, and it got confusing with Christmas. Yeah. People think it's some kind of a gift for the holidays. It's not. They earned it, and that's what it's all about. So we moved that. it up I love that. to October to get away from that and make sure they knew that this was, they earned what they get, and some people aren't, you know, doing as well as others but they know why and they go about trying to fix it so i I think i got your question answered you did answer yeah you did answer it so there's an incentive and a reward we share a lot we communicate a lot but we're um, we're all partners and by the way we are now an esop oh really just became an employee's uh, owned company so it fits with our culture it certainly does last thing on anything else on my company who we work for what we do if you Anything you want to share there? Well, I just feel like I should put a lid on it. It's uh, So we're 200 people, six offices in California. We work for people that make remarkable places. <laughs> and my favorite client's the Irvine Company still. And it's remarkable that they're still one of my top five clients. They're huge. We do 5 or $10 million a year with just them Wow. for 35 years, Doug. Yeah. I mean, and they are impossible to work for. Everybody knows that. They're, I started that. But you remember, and they haven't changed a bit. Everything has to be done now, and it has to be perfect. And everything they do shines and sparkles, and I love that. And so I love them. And sure, they're hard to work for, and they're demanding, and they'll kill us, but I don't care. I just love making shiny, sparkly things. Well, the projects are unique. Yes, and so. and so I love them. And Costco is a great client. We do all the Costco south of the Bay Area. We've done 300 of them. They're a wonderful company. I've been up there. They have a huge presence in seattle they're loved by the city of seattle like boeing Mm -hmm. they are loved and they do so much for their community i i'm so proud of them as an american company so i'm glad to work for them too so that that's the kind of things we do stores and hospitals and schools and houses and shopping centers and things like that so that's it okay well let you know i i hate to admit it you and i have been friends a long time but you know uh I'm lazy with my friendships. You, we don't see each other that often. <laughs> yeah. And what kind of triggered me about inviting you on the show was I had the opportunity a few months back. Uh, I got an email, and it said, hey, Pat Fusco is speaking at the BIA. And, and you remembered me. And, and uh. you know, that rang a bell. And, and then it said, and he's going to talk about drones and virtual reality. <laughs> 
And I thought, now I got to go here. <laughs> you can't. What, what is an engineer doing talking about drones and virtual reality? Yeah. Oh my God. And you gave a phenomenal presentation, and I walked away and said, you know, we got to have you on the yeah, radio show. Thanks and talk for, a little bit yeah. about. I wish we had more technology time. in that. We can always do another show. I know, but so. the technology is my. I told you about how much fun I had doing Woodbridge, and nothing has come close to that fun and excitement and that learning and just the passion that went on with Woodbridge in my whole career until now. <laughs> I swear, this as as fun as Woodbridge, the technology. I am I am all in on technology. Seven years ago, I told my GIS guy who was a pilot, I said, go buy a drone. He goes, what's that? I, they're those gizmos, <laughs> you know. And everybody in my firm said, why are you doing that, Pat? It's stupid. I go, no, no. <laughs> I just, I have a hunch, right? So I told you I like to think I'm valuable. Yeah. So we bought this drone and instantly found it to be an incredibly useful measuring tool. We could fly over a freeway. Instead of getting killed by cars running you over as a surveyor, we could just fly the drone over and measure everything. Oh, my God. This is, I just went nuts. This is, we got, let's get more of them. So we had four drones in one year using the hell out of them to measure stuff. Now, this was six years ago. So it just was like a, the lip of a funnel that I fell down into. Because <laughs> once we had these things, it was like, what else could we what do with this? Do? <laughs> it was really that simple. Well, what else could we do? And it's a long story, but I had this guy called me. He said, I'm going to take a job with a firm in Silicon Valley. And I said, what kind of firm? He goes, I don't know. They say they can fly around in a drone and take pictures of something and make a 3D model of it. And I said, take the job. <laughs> and he goes, really? You don't know anything about it? I go, take the job. Whatever it is, it's, it's, this is disruptive, huge. It's going to change the world, and you want to be a part of it. He took the job. I flew up there instantly and got all in on this company to find out how in the hell do they do that? Mm -hmm. How do they fly around with a drone and come back and from the pictures make a 3D model that's within a quarter inch accuracy. Oh my God. I mean, you could fly over downtown LA and make a model of everything, the trees, the fire hydrants, the people, the buildings, the wires, everything within a half inch. Are you kidding me? That would take years to survey. I just knew this was the coming thing. Well, guess what? They failed. They couldn't get over the goal line, this company up in Silicon Valley. And I was so disappointed. I spent a whole year going back and forth and trying to help them. And I wanted to be the first guy to use this. <laughs> and I came back with my head in my hands. And my guys, you could tell they felt sorry for me. I, I just felt like this train had left and we missed it. And they said, you know what, Pat? I think we can do it. They, we had learned a lot hanging around with these guys for a year. And I said, really? And they said, yeah. So I said, go for it. It, it cost me pretty i mean like half a million bucks in two years doug but wow they figured it out and we own it we have a u.s patent pending and i can fly that drone over your house and hand you a 3d model of your entire yard pool house inside or out doesn't matter and you can measure anything you want you know it's it's amazing what a tool that is so that's just not one thing <laughs> <laughs> then we start doing that for our clients like brookfield and irvine company and, oh, my God, the Irvine Company just just jumped on this like a crocodile. I couldn't believe it. You know, they said, Pat, you can go out to any of our construction sites, fly your drone, and make a 3D model as built of everything that's done, can't you? And I went, yeah. How long will it take? I said, eight minutes per site. Oh, <laughs> it's like free. <laughs> they have us fly every, every site they have now. We fly. And, and imagine a construction site with concrete and rebar and pipes sticking out and all this crazy people running around and trucks and dirt and lumber. It would take you forever to measure it with a, with a measuring tape and write it all down. And then by the time you deliver it, it's useless because it's changed. Instead, we fly the drone over it, instantly hand you the model in two hours. There you go. Well, you know, I have to share a story with you. When when. I was with the Irvine Company, as you know, when we were starting Woodbridge. Yes. It was a big project for the company back then. And they wanted to know what was going on, and they wanted to keep the board informed. So I, every week, would go out to Orange County Airport, climb in the back a of helicopter. a two-seater. Yeah. No, not a oh. helicopter. Oh, two-seater two open plane, fixed plane, prop plane. And we would fly, and I would take pictures yeah. with my 35-millimeter sure. camera. 
then have leaning them out the door, leaning out the, the window. The not somebody the window, holding on your belt, edge, you know, looking like uh, Charlie Brown, <laughs> yeah, yeah. the Red Baron, yeah. and take the photos. And and that was cutting edge of yeah. reporting the progress of yeah. our construction work at the time. Have we come a long way? Oh my God, this is so so fast and so cheap and so much better. It's just blowing everything away. Lasers are gone. I mean, surveying the old-fashioned way, right. gone. It's just gone. And so now I'm not afraid of this. I, I see it, and I know that this is reality, and you got to get on the train or you're going to get left behind. And I'm not a kind of person that likes to get left Obviously, behind. if you're going to spend a half a million dollars no. in technology. And, it, and this was we've been doing this six years, Doug. I go on and on. We have five more things we're doing. So, but all of it, once I got into this and the thing started moving like this, I just went all in. I mean, so everything, every client that we delivered a model to, the first thing they said was, oh, this is really nice, Pat. Can you show me my proposed building in this model of, say, Fashion Island, and let me see what it looks like. Can you do that? I said, yeah. So we just started doing that. Next thing you know, then they wanted to go in their in their building that doesn't exist, right? They want to mm -hmm. go in it and go up to the 12th floor and look out and see what the view is. <laughs> so I did that, and now we do that for everybody. And so we have downtown L.A. We'll put a 30-story building. We just fly the drone, tell the drone to go to every window of the future building, and there you go, and you can see the views. The hotel guys love it because they can figure out what to charge for the rooms. You know, like, <laughs> Can you see Catalina? I go, yeah. From the 19th floor to the 20th, you can see Catalina. They go, double the room rent. <laughs> But anyway, uh, so it goes on and on. And so we're doing these view simulations. And then sure enough, Brookfield, Adrian Foley, who I love, he's a technology guy. He says, Pat, these are really cool. This is cutting edge, but I want to go inside. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, I want to go in the front door and walk around in the house or in the hotel. And I went, oh, my God. So I came back to my people. I said, can you guys figure this out? They went, okay. Took us another year, 500000 and, you know, here we go again. <laughs> and sure enough, we figured it out. So now... He and other clients come over, we put a headset on them, and they can walk into their hotel. Imagine, it doesn't even exist. It's on paper, and it's 5% designed, so you haven't spent all your money, and you can walk through the whole thing and decide what you like or don't like and change and whatever. Oh, my God. It's unbelievable. I have four game artists we hired. They're, they make... They make things. <laughs> I don't know what <laughs> so to say. So an engineering company has game artists. That's right. So you, you've had to add people with totally different skills than, That's, let me say, standard engineering skills. There's no way an engineer could do this. It's it's Somebody has to furnish a, a house with a coffee table and fruit bowls and paintings on the wall, curtains. It's just not our skill set. So I hired four game artists they know how to make anything they can make other planets avatar the movie i mean that's yeah. what they do i said can you make a house and they looked at me and said oh that's a piece of cake <laughs> i went okay you're hired so yeah and by the way my wife who's an artist taught me a long time ago pat beauty matters beauty matters and I, i've learned that doug so things have to look nice and it matters so we have artists i have two artists they're nothing but pure artists, and their whole job every day is to make our stuff look good. Wow. Yeah, and and they mix perfectly with engineers, believe it or not. And it's one plus one is three. That's how it works. When you mix the diversity, you put a business person, an engineer, and an artist and tell them to do something, it, it's remarkable the creativity that is sparked by their different perspectives. So you're still an engineering company. Yes, but... But you are using technology to project beyond the standard engineering drawings. That's right. It's not engineering anymore. We're creating virtual worlds and environments for our clients, like a shopping center that doesn't exist. We'll build the whole thing virtually for you, and you can explore it, measure it, calculate it, whatever you want. But it's still... Don't you see how it's related to my whole purpose is making remarkable places? <laughs> and that's all that matters to me is to make a remarkable place. So if, if Rick Caruso wants to build another grove like he has in L.A., yes. I'm the guy that he wants to use because I can build it virtually for him and he can push things around and change it and make it all perfect before he spends a dime. So I like that. You know, now, now in this virtual world that you create, yeah. where is the role of the architect? Because it sounds like 
you're stepping beyond I what you, I would um, traditionally yeah. think is the engineer's role. It's a little hard. It's funny. I just came from an hour and a half presentation to a huge architecture firm in Brea, JRMA. Okay. I do this about once a week. We go to architects. I've been to Gensler, the largest architect sure. in the country, and I show them this technology. And I say, you guys should use this. And they they're, they all are excited and and mesmerized by it, but they're I'm being a little generality here. Some of them aren't, but many of them are not going to do it because I'm not sure why I'm I'm theorizing here, but sure. they, like you said, I'm moving into their territories. Not what they do. They are the inside guy, and I'm the outside guy, and what am I doing inside? What am I doing furnishing a, a house and letting my client walk around in there? They don't like that. So they get a little skittish, or I don't know if the right word is... Uh, no, I mean, this is fascinating to me because you know. I think... Uh, you're breaking down the traditional roles That's right. that we've had for years of this is what an architect does, this is what an engineer does. Silos. This is, you know, yeah. Yeah, but it's not now. It's and with technology today, you don't have to ha those barriers don't exist. They really don't anymore. We design in the cloud in 3D in real time. Doug, it's, it's phenomenal. I, mean, I, <laughs> I used to draft. <laughs> I used to have an ink pen and drew things, and we'd send it overnight to the architect, and he'd come back with a red line and say, change it. It's all done in real time in the cloud in a 3D model. I move a pipe. And the structural engineer sends me an email says, can't do that, Pat. I have a column there. It'll bump into it. Oh, okay. So I move it back. It's, that's how it works now. So everybody's together in real time in these 3D models designing all these projects. That's the new world we're in. And so this is consistent with that. Let me in. Let me help you, mm -hmm. you know, with this technology. Some of them are going along with it. But like, like you say, some are reluctant because they're afraid that we're encroaching but in fact I think we're enhancing them you know, we're giving them tools to really wow their client you know well you know and I see this in so many areas I mean here we are sitting in a radio station doing internet radio and when the producer started this there was uh, not a great acceptance of internet radio people went well, yeah, radio right. is FM AM broadcast yeah. over the air what is this internet thing oh you mean you're doing a podcast no we're doing internet radio <laughs> you know yeah and it, it sort of crossed the boundaries. And, and people get uncomfortable when you it's change the way they do things. Most people don't like change. Um, it's really hard to get them to change, but most of them will. And by the way, the AI is the new thing. Everybody says, God, Pat, you're just right out there in front of everybody. You know, we have two, yeah. two of these things no one else on earth can do, for God's sakes. And we're a little engineering firm in Orange County. Are you kidding me? But they say, what's next? They always say what's next, and I like as if I know, but I think it's AI, artificial intelligence. It's it's machine learning, and I'm I'm all I'm all in on it, as you can imagine. Doug. Yeah. So it's like I was in Seattle, and I met this forestry company. I knew nothing about forestry. I just had lunch because the guy uh, I knew. You knew are him. a curious guy. Oh, I'm aren't so you? curious. <laughs> I wanted to know everything about forestry. What is what is it like running a forestry company? He goes, oh, Pat, it's unbelievable. Every tree is an asset. You got millions of trees, for God's sakes. And I go, what's a tree worth? $80,000 each. A tree. Oh, my God. I said, how do you know where they are and if they're happy or anything? And he goes, <laughs> we don't. We hire tons of people to wander through the forests day after day, year after year, looking at them and writing it down. I said, okay, I know you're not going to, this is going to be new for you, but get ready. Sit down. I can take my drone and I can fly over your forest about 200 acres a day is how much I can cover with the drone. And it will tell you instantly how many trees it saw. And it will not be wrong. Every tree, 3,506 3, trees, it'll tell you. It'll tell you how big they are. It'll tell you what kind they are. And, oh, my God, if they're happy, if they're healthy. I can do all that with AI. See, uh, so I fly the drone, I capture the scan, like I talked about yeah. earlier. It's big deal, 3D model, no big deal. But I put it in the computer, and I, we, we, have you ever heard of Watson, IBM? Yes, yes. <laughs> we have access yeah. to Watson. So we call Watson. We go, Watson, here's a piece of forest. Look at it. How many trees are there, Watson? And he tells us right there on the spot, instantly, 3,506 trees, Pat. Thank you, Watson. 
Can you tell me how big they are? And yes. You realize Watson's a computer. Here, Watson everybody. is a computer that, <laughs> that beat the guy in the chess game. He's yeah. kind of fam- he was on uh, with a TV show. Uh, anyway, Watson is cool, and so we're using Watson. Oh my God! This little engineering firm in Orange County has a backdoor to Watson, the most powerful computer on earth. <laughs> so Watson is really smart. We flew over the the, the community of Ladera and asked Watson. Watson, what kind of trees are there here? And he goes, these. And he just prints it out. Everything. Sycamores, <laughs> Douglas fir, poplar, everything. Pines, eucalyptus. We go, thanks, Watson. And tell us how many of each. Oh, yeah, here. Boom. Oh, and tell us how big they are. Oh, yeah. Boom. Here you go. This is instant. I'm talking about 4,000 acres of plants everywhere, like bougainvillea, rose bushes. Now, now, wait a minute. What, what's an engineer doing involved know, in counting plants? Okay, I don't know. This is <laughs> this isn't. In, I don't no, know. I'm just this. But you know, this you is see, breaking the boundaries. This, you're that's interested right. in what information would my client use? You not have to, whether it's in my discipline. It, that's right. It's it's is this useful? Yes. Okay. Now I have this. So now guess what? I'm going to my guy saying, "What else can we use this for?" And they're going, "Well, I don't know." I said, "Well, give me something. Think about it." It's, it's looking at anything. It'll, in other words, think of it as an it, if yeah. you will. Watson is sort of an it. You know, I don't know if it's a guy or a girl. <laughs> but he looks at anything you want, and you just have to teach him what to look for. So I could, let's, I was at a, I'm on the board of an environmental remediation firm, Alta Environmental, and I, I said, you guys should be using it. Well, what will you use it for? I said, well, what do you do when you go out to a site? Well, we look for, like, pools of oil and contaminated soil and, you know, dirty, yeah. bad Dirty bad things that have to get rid of. Oh, I can teach Watson what to look for. I can tell Watson, here's the 17 things we want you to look for. Now here, here's a piece of property, 200 acres in Ohio. Is there any of this on there? And he'll tell you. And he'll tell you where it is. Isn't that amazing? So I just can't wait. That's the next thing, Doug. So get me back in a year, and I'll give you five more things. <laughs> Somehow we're going to figure out what we can do with Watson. Well, you know, and, and and we talked about this before. You know, I'm convinced that the limitation here is not the technology. The limitation is can we get out of the box and think creatively about how to use the technology. That's right. right. And you, you have know? to be willing to try things. And, by the way, everything we've developed, we've done 17 other things that didn't work and we threw it away so you just have to be okay with that. I'll, I'll share another story with you I, I'm on the board and do some coaching with a company that does uh, underground work and they were teasing me one day about the fact that they found out I'm a little bit claustrophobic and they <laughs> said you know when we put these storm drains in and, and sewers sometimes we have to send a person yeah. in crawl in there to check it and we tie a rope to their legs so in case something goes wrong, pull them we can out. pull them back out. And I said, don't even tell me anymore. Just, just talking about it is making me break out in a cold sweat. Yeah. After I heard your talk at the BA, I went to their next meeting. I said, hey, guys. You got the answer. I got the answer. Yeah. Go to Pat and have him fly one of his drones in there and take pictures. You don't have to send anybody up that pipe anymore. That's right. And you know the thing about the drone is these little, they're little airplanes. Yeah. And we have 10 of them, by the way. We have one that will carry 18 pounds, Doug. We could carry your small child around. <laughs> it's unbelievable. But they they are smart, and you can pre-program, but they don't fly through a pipe and not ever touch the side. Yeah. It'll know exactly where to go, and, and it'll go and come right back. It's pretty amazing. So, well, look, we're going to run out of time here. Yeah. I wish, you know, like I said, going into this thing, there's more you could share with us than we have time today, yeah. and I really... I'm looking forward to you coming back and <laughs> and finishing this. But what do you want to leave the audience with here about oh. what we've talked about today? We've talked about sort of the culture of your company, yeah. the start of it. We've talked about some of the technology. What is the the Take key home. things to you? Yeah, uh, I thought about that a little. I have two things um, that matter a lot, I think, to, to just leave your audience with. I, I think it's better to be small and great than big and crappy okay <laughs> i know yeah you laugh that one will go down but you'd be surprised stone. at how many people or my colleagues they, they say i want to grow oh really what is what does grow mean i submit to you and your audience that grow can be getting stronger not getting bigger so 
think twice. Okay. All right. When you acquire a firm or you're adding 50 people, is this going to make my firm stronger or weaker? Because if it's going to make it weaker, I wouldn't do it. Now, that's not my final take home. Okay. My good friend, Augie Nieto, uh, sadly has Lou Gehrig's disease, but he's he's leveled off. He's not dying. He's And he's an amazingly smart man, so he's on my board. He can communicate by moving his toe a little teeny bit. He can type 10 or 20 words a minute on a computer. So I love him to pieces, and he's been my guiding light for 12 years. He lives in a wheelchair. You know, he's paralyzed. Yeah, yeah. And he said, Pat, you know, I said, Augie, how can you do this? How can you just live like, you know, how do you have the courage to get up every day like this? He said, Pat, you can celebrate what you can do or you can mourn what you can't. I love it. Don't you love that? I love it. I love love that. And so that's my guiding light every day, no matter what comes my way. You can celebrate what you can do rather than mourning what you can't. So that's that's my take-home message. I have nothing to add to that. That is thank a you. great way to wrap up today. And Pat, let me just again thank you very much for taking the time to come here. Fun, you're, you're a busy guy. Oh no, it's and, just fun. Uh, I love it. Thank this you. has been wonderful. I'm really looking forward to having you come back again soon. So how do people get a hold of you? Give, give Pat me. at Fusco.com is the best way. Everybody loves email, right? Fusco is spelled P A T at Fusco F U S C O E dot com. It's you can Google it or look at our website to find out more about our great culture. website, by the way. Thank you. And by the way, our artists made it, and that's why it's <laughs> drop dead gorgeous and beautiful and functional. And uh, beauty matters. Remember that too. That's the third thing. Um, but Pat at Fusco is probably the best way. Uh, phoning is works too, but you got to go through my secretary, and she's <laughs> she's a tiger. So uh, I'd say Pat at Fusco, and works. she's wonderful to deal with. Thank too. you very much. Okay. She's great. Well, look, thank you for being with us and joining the Coaching Perspective Radio Show community. Congratulations, Doug, on your career and your success with it. I oh. really admire you for that. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Well, look, if you're listening to our podcast, then thank you for visiting our website, thecoachingperspective.com. Be sure to check out our archives for other shows with fascinating guests and topics. And speaking of guests, we're always looking for interesting people to talk to on the show. So. If you'd like to be a guest, just send me an email, Doug at thecoachingperspective.com, or easier yet, just go to the website. You can sign up for the newsletter or indicate that you want me to get a hold of you to be a guest. Uh, we're going to have a great guest also next week. Uh, you're going to get to hear a living testimony of how to overcome obstacles. Michelle Hensley, owner of Nifty Packaging. I had a great preview conversation with her. She is really down-to-earth and a courageous woman. We're really going to enjoy listening to her next week. Well, I hope you've enjoyed the show today. Our goal, as always, is to have discussions that provide you with new ideas and information that you can put to use immediately to identify and achieve your goals. Be back with you again next week at our new time, 3 p.m. You've been listening to the one show that takes a look at business from a different perspective. The Coaching Perspective with Master Certified Business Coach Doug Gefeller.